0: Mike is picking us up. I think it's that one. Is it that one? So the pulpit mic is loud enough because I can now. Loud during surf. Wow. If it gets too loud during service, do so you want to nudge it down a little? Because it shouldn't be picking up that much ambient noise.
1: Okay.
0: It's picking up all the ambient noise. in a glass, right? Amen. <music>
2: Good morning. Welcome, excuse my froggy voice today, welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church um, of Wausau. My name is Cheryl Hemp and I am a member here of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to any visitors joining us here this morning. Since 1858, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Between Sundays, We'd love to have you at one of our classes or events, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. And at this time, I have a few announcements to highlight, which you can find in your insert in your program. Later today, our Community focused Collection recipient Um, is the Wasaw Free Clinic, and Jeff Todd from that organization will be speaking. I'll be introducing him again later. And we are wondering if you have RSVP'd for wine, cheese, and leadership. So mark your calendars for December 1st, from 6.30 to 8.30, and we're hosting a wine, cheese, and leadership event to express our gratitude to the Board of Trustees You will also gain some insight into how things are done at church. And they would appreciate this RSVP by the 20th, which is that? Tomorrow. So get right on that. Um, You can email the office administrator at the address listed in your program or call the church for that RSVP. And your response will be will allow us to provide for the right amounts of food um, and goodies for everybody, so thanks for that. And as a reminder, our annual meeting um, will be held here in the sanctuary on Sunday, December 3rd at 11.45 after the service, so I would invite everyone to attend that. And uh, the annual report will be emailed to you within the next week or so for that. And then today after church, our 1858 um, committee um, will be meeting, um, it's a stewardship planning and discussion group, very informal, um, two board members including myself will be at the meeting up in Yaki Hall at 1145 and we'll be getting your feedback and asking questions. So if you are available to stay for that, that would be greatly appreciated. And then Joni Han asked me to be very enthusiastic about this message. UU Family Fun Day is today. So if you are able to stay for that after the Bread Communion, everyone is invited to join the RE team for their second UU Family Fun Day. So grab a bite during the social hour and then join them in the atrium for all ages, games, and intergenerational fun. So hopefully that was sufficient for Joni. (laughs) I'm Norwegian, so that's very enthusiastic for me. (laughs) As we begin our worship together, if we could all take a moment to extend a greeting to one one another, and please stand and, and do that right now. Dear friends, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship and please join me in reciting the chalice lighting which is listed in your bulletin. We light this chalice through the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now if you could please rise again in body or spirit as we sing our opening hymn number 349, We Gather Together, number 349.
3: be seated. I'm glad so many of you are here this morning for the bread communion service. The first bread communion was celebrated at this church in 1969. My dear friend and mentor John Robinson was the minister then. He brought this church with him from Meadville Lombard Seminary. Uh, We think this is probably the second church to celebrate the Bread Communion. But he took this service with him to Kirkwood, Missouri, at Elliott Unitarian Chapel, that spread throughout the Midwest, and today the Bread Communion is celebrated largely in Midwestern congregations, but also some on the East and West Coast as well. The words that you're going to partake in in the responsive readings are almost exact word for word what they used the very first time. I updated some of the words because I can do that if I want to. But most of the words are exactly as John brought them to this church from Meadville. And so the bold portion is your portion. I'll invite you by raising my hand. I'll begin. For the goods of the harvest, the stories which are laid up for the nourishment of the children of creation, for all those who work while we sleep that we might have life more abundantly for the beauty which refreshes and renews us. Lest we forget our dependence upon the good earth, lest we remove ourselves too completely from the source of our well-being, lest in pride we forget that from dust we came and unto dust we will return.
0: me your Thanksgiving meal usually starts with a list much like the ones the RE kid helped me write last Sunday and then you go to the store and you get things to make, let's see, turkey, ham, tofurkey, sweet potatoes, peas, pumpkin pie, mashed potatoes, dinner rolls, stuffing, goldfish crackers, egg rolls, apple cider, soda, juice, Cranberry sauce, vegetables, chips, spaghetti, mango, shepherd's pie, pea soup, beef stew, venison, grilled cheese, tomato soup, cheese quesadillas, lasagna, chicken alfredo, jello, candy corn, apple crisp, and a salad for good measure. (laughs) Well, anyway, you plan a big meal and you invite people over and you eat and you eat and you eat. And that's how the usual Thanksgiving meal goes, but not for the family in today's story. Not all that long ago, a family had a very strange Thanksgiving. This family was the Breckenridge family. There was mom and dad, Katie, Jimmy, Sarah, and their dog, Max. On Thanksgiving day, they cooked and worked and planned, and the kids even helped with mashing and peeling, and they were really looking forward to this big dinner with the turkey, and peas, and sweet potatoes, and mashed potatoes, and bread, and cranberry sauce, well, all the things I mentioned before. They got it all ready, and Mom called everyone to the table. But when they finally sat down to eat, and Dad went to carve the turkey, something amazing happened. The turkey sat up and said, hey, this is for the birds, forget it, I'm not doing this, and jumped off the table, and straight out of the room. I told you, it was a very strange Thanksgiving. Then the sweet potatoes did the same thing. They said, if the turkey's not staying, we're not staying. And they flew right out the door. Then the mashed potatoes did the same thing. And if you think it's weird to have a turkey get up and walk, you should have seen the mashed potatoes. They kind of just slid across the table and out the door. And then the pie. And next went the peas. And then the cranberry sauce just kind of wobbled away. (laughs) And finally, the bread just rolled off the table. In just a few minutes, all the food had gone. And the Breckenridge family was too stunned to do anything. They just sat there muttering, no way, this can't be happening. This is too weird. But it was all true and all the food was gone. The brekkers just sat there and looked at the empty table and looked at each other, and finally little Sarah, the youngest one, said, now what do we have to be thankful for? Our dinner is gone. They sat in silence about to cry when Katie started to chuckle. Hey, Mom, remember that when we came home from practice and you said you didn't have time to make dinner so you got us McDonald's and we put our burgers on the table and we went to get the ketchup and Max came and ate them up? Remember that? When we came back, there was nothing on the table, just like now. Oh boy, do I remember that, said Mom, looking at Max. Jimmy said, I remember the time we were on that trip to see Uncle Leo, and the car broke down, and we had nowhere to go but stay in that hotel in the middle of nowhere, and the only option was eating from the vending machine. I remember that, said Sarah. We built towers with the Pringles, and Dad got the tallest one i'm still the reigning pringles architect of the year dad said proudly you know this isn't the first time we've been without turkey on thanksgiving remember when grandpa tried to deep fry the turkey mom reminded them oh the outside was burned and was still raw on the inside dad remembered but we had all of grandma's side dishes her thanksgiving bread was the best exclaimed katie they continued telling stories like these They remembered the times they had gone places together and played games together, the times they had eaten. They remember the times they had gotten sick, times they had gotten well, and even the time when Dad left the pumpkin pie on the front seat and Mom sat on it. (laughs) And they talked, and Sarah began to think, and she said, you know what? Even if we don't have our dinner this year, this is what we can be thankful for. They all looked at her, and they stopped and smiled. Let's join hands, Mom said. For the love which flows in our family, for the love which flows in our memories and stories, and for the love that arises even around an empty table, we are thankful." And then they got takeout. And that is our story for today. This morning, we're worshiping as a community of all ages, so I invite you to bless those who have joined us here and those who are joining us online with our children's song, the words are printed in your order of service. (sweak) Thank <sweak> you.
2: This morning's offering will be taken on behalf of the Wausau Free Clinic. You all received a brochure as you came into church today. Jeff Todd from the organization will be speaking on their behalf, and I wanted to also let you know that Jeff and Dr. Jeff Oswald will be available during the coffee hour to answer your questions and speak more about the organization. But at this time, I'd I'd welcome Jeff Todd and Dr. Oswald up to the front.
4: Well, good morning. It's always nice to be with uh, my Unitarian friends. I'm uh, from First Presbyterian Church right next door. I'm an elder in the church, and... Uh, we have had some great fellowship with this congregation over the years. But it's nice to be here, this is my third time. I've had a chance to come and present on the Wausau Free Clinic, which is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church. Um, Dr. Oswald is our medical director and he's gonna give you a few highlights of some of our uh, accomplishments over the last year. We have been so blessed to be in the community partners campus on Grand right across from saint mary's for the almost a year now Uh, we moved in the first week of december of last year and it has just been incredible Um, you should have not only the red pamphlet but uh, hopefully many of you got our uh, handout it's two pages full of accomplishments that uh, dr oswald is going to uh, acknowledge Um, He will not tell you, but I will. Dr. Oswald has been an incredible blessing for our clinic. He's been our medical director, and actually was the uh, uh, initiator, instigator, of the free clinic uh, uh, almost six years ago when he approached our church. Um, So he's gonna tell you about those, but before I do that, I also absolutely have to acknowledge one from among uh, uh, our friends here at the Unitarian Church. And that's Roxanne And Roxanne is our team leader in res- reception and registration. She's been with us for several years, and it's just been wonderful to be working alongside of uh, Roxanne in the clinic. But Dr. Oswald, to give you a few of the highlights of this last year, and then I'll wrap it up. I'm on a strict time limit. Um, I, I won't go into detail on
5: all the accomplishments or affiliations we've made over the last year, but it's really been remarkable. You have the list of those affiliations. From the beginning, our goal was to form a clinic where we could give all the services that you would normally get at a primary care clinic, but free of charge. And I think we're almost there. Uh, Right now, anybody who comes to our clinic gets their medications free, their laboratories free, their imaging studies free, all mental health services are free. Um, And that's that's all because of the affiliations we have listed there. In some ways, Working at the free clinic has been easier for me than when I was in primary care or in private practice Because in private practice I always had to worry about whether somebody's insurance would cover medications Whether somebody's insurance would cover mental health coverage But we are really lucky because the community has really been supportive of us And we've been able to offer these services for free So along with Jeff I want to thank everybody here who supported our clinic in the past and I think you can see from all the affiliations that are Uh, Community has really supported us. So thank you
4: Again, I I, I cannot emphasize enough what a what a meaningful blessing it's been to have the support of the Unitarian Church Uh, Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau was next to my church the first to really come forward and say we really think this is a great idea and Proceed with this free clinic. So thank you so much for your uh, generosity for your support and your prayers, and uh, thank you again for the, uh, the contribution today.
3: I'd like to invite you to join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation for a moment of quiet. I believe prayer requires your whole body. So if your legs are crossed, go ahead and uncross them. Place your feet flat and firm on the ground. If you're comfortable closing your eyes, now's a good time to close them. We'll start by focusing our attention. Move your attention to the top of your head. Slowly move your attention downwards into your jaw. Relax any tension you have in there. Now downwards into your shoulders. Take your breath in and as you breathe out, Relax them. And now focus on your breath. First a breath deep and full into your chest and slow out. And now another breath deep and full into your stomach and slow out. Blessed be you, O spirit of life, for all the gifts that we know and all the gifts we never even notice. As we give thanks for life's gifts to us, we dare to ask for even more. We pray for an end to suffering and pain. We pray for those who shiver in the cold, for those who have no homes, for those who have no hope. We pray for those who greet each day with sorrow, for those who've lost their dignity, for those who've lost their dreams. We pray for those whose bodies ache and sigh, for those who long for the release of death, and for those who fear the end of their days. We pray especially this hour for those caught up in and fleeing the violence in Israel, Palestine, and Ukraine, for the victims' families and friends and for the first responders who witnessed the tragedy up close. We pray for justice and for peace in every country and in every home and in every heart. Now, dear friends, I invite you to call into your mind all the joys and sorrows in your life and let us meditate on them in in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for prayer hymn number 352 in the gray hymnal, Find a Stillness. i want like you to join me in our next responsive reading. For all the substance and shape of times past and days gone by, for all the effort and hope and love poured into our lives by others, known and unknown, for the heritage which is ours, gifted by generations long dead. Lest we forget our rootage in the deeds and visions of the past, lest our arrogance lead us to forsake the human love which supports and sustains us, lest we forget the resources bequeathed to us by the great body of humanity. There was this anthropologist by the name of Claude Levi-Strauss who published an almost unclassifiable essay, at least unclassifiable by my standards, called Tristesse Tropiques, which re- translates to something like sad tropics. And so in it, he tells of visiting rum distilleries in the Caribbean. In Martinique, he says, he quote, visited rustic and neglected rum distilleries where the equipment and the methods using had not changed since the 18th century. By contrast, the distilleries in Puerto Rico were very modern with, quote, white enamel tanks and chromium piping, end quote. The result, he explains, was that, quote, the various kinds of Martinique rum, as I tasted them in front of Ancient wooden vats thickly encrusted with waste matter were mellow and scented, whereas the Puerto Rico rum and all those vats of porcelain were coarse and harsh. End quote. So, this contrast suggested to Levi Strauss a more general lesson which he names quote, the paradox of civilization. This is the most Unitarian opening to a sermon ever, just so you know, <laughs> ever. Uh, it doesn't say this boring, I promise. Anyways, the paradox of civilization, quote, its charms are due essentially to the various residues it carries along with it. Although this does not absolve us of the obligation to purify the stream, We are right to be rational and to try and increase our production and keep manufacturing costs down. But we are also right to cherish those very imperfections we are trying to eliminate. Social life consists in destroying that which gives its savor. Put simply, progress divorced from the past is basically destruction. Something like this, it seems to me, is the fate of all social improvements, as much as we hate to admit it. Because nothing is more basic to human nature than the wish to believe that the benefits come without costs. That we can fix problems without introducing new ones. Now I, for one, I don't believe in a world without costs. If you don't know this already, I grew up in Southern Missouri. Anybody else from Southern Missouri? It's a wonderful paradise. It doesn't snow there. It's nice and warm all the time. The St. Louis Cardinals are the best baseball team in the world. They're there anyways. So I grew up in Southern Missouri. My family's of origin on one side, we were rural types, badly wounded by violence and alcoholism. Now the other side of my family were early immigrants who settled in Virginia and they've known every battle from the Civil War to the Second World War, and many in my family witnessed firsthand the intensity of the Civil Rights Movement. Now, throughout my childhood, I was limited to two regions, Greater St. Louis and Florida's Gulf Coast. Now, my parents, they split up when I was young, and so I did what children of divorced parents did. I bounced around a lot. Some of it was good. I had two vacations. Two Christmases. Summers split in two. Two birthdays, two zip codes, and all the other twos that come from parents that split. Now, while I say this, I don't wish that my life had been different. But I do think that it's good for me to face what I invariably missed as a result of my upbringing, if for no other reason than to help me make amends and to find comfort and to do the same for others. What is true for me on a personal level is I believe, I also think that it's true for all of us in one way or another, and I think it's true for our culture as well. What I mean by that is this, our culture has made certain decisions on our behalf, decisions we participate in with varying degrees of willingness, and even when we support those decisions, we should never be afraid to count the costs to notice the way the new rum we make lacks the savor of the old rum, even when we affirm the things we've chosen to abandon. I tend to think that it's foolish to think that we can carry with us all the good things from the past while leaving behind all that unwanted baggage. I also think there's another layer of foolishness to this, which is to think that if we leave behind the errors and miseries of the past, we must also leave behind everything that gave the world its savor. I don't want to leave behind everything that gives the world its savor. I like the world's savor. I like the world's funkiness in the best sense of the word funky. And one of the ways that I spot the savers of the past is I play this little game with myself that starts with a question that goes something like this. What three people living or dead would you like to have for dinner and what would you cook? Have you all ever played this game? Is there someone you'd like to have dinner with? I bet there's someone you wouldn't want to have dinner with anyways. So what I would cook is very easy. I would cook Julia Child's beef bourgnon. Have you all ever had that? It is heaven on earth in a Dutch oven. Anyways, the next thing I would cook is I would cook a loaf of my mentor Carl's grandmother's herb bread, a recipe he brought back from China. And the last thing I would make is an apple pie based on Randy Jefferson's mother's recipe that he taught me while I was on sabbatical. The man makes the best pies you've ever eaten, I make the second. Anyways, (laughs) the people I would have over for dinner is a harder decision. It's a decision that changes based on whatever I'm reading, right, or whatever I'm watching, whoever I'm annoyed with. You might not get invited if I don't like you at the moment. But one person, one person that always gets an invite is my dearly loved and my dearly missed grandmother, Millie Lou. Now there was nothing porcelain or sterile about my grandmother. If she were a rum, I would have you know that she would be distilled in an ancient wooden vat, very, very thickly encrusted with waste matter. So in between the post-divorce parental handoffs that me and my sisters went through, in between all those meltdowns, the one place that never changed, the one place that stayed the same, was grandma, and grandma's house. Inside my grandma's house, the cigarette smoke hung from the ceiling all the way down to your ankles. You'd have to fight to just get anywhere you wanted to go. Also, her house was never totally clean, but evidence that she was cleaning was everywhere you looked. For instance, the vacuum was often still plugged in in the middle of the half-swept living room floor. You would go in to do your business in the bathroom like you do, and you would find that the toilet bowl brush was still sticking out of the toilet. Lunch's dishes were always put to soak right as soon as dinner hit the oven. And the only explanation I have for all of the half-done chores was that her phone was always ringing. Something on the farm needed fixing. One of the dogs was lost and the neighbors called and said, come and get your stupid dog. Someone's clothes needed to be stitched. Some neighbor needed a ride. And like those Martinique rum vats, the woman had 10,000 imperfections, and she did not hide a single one of them. She cursed like a sailor while holding her Bible in her hand at the exact same time. She did not always follow the directions printed on the side of her pill bottle. We have a doctor here. You shouldn't do that if you want to talk about it. If she thought a man was disrespecting her in her own house, I witnessed this, she would chase them out of her home holding a cast iron skillet, and if you lingered long enough, she would strike you without remorse. She also pointed out every single pimple I ever had in my entire life, and she would pop them at the breakfast table whether I liked it or not. She also would badmouth people. To their face unlike you northern midwesterners who i always hear your little chitter chatter after the fact my grandma was tough she would tell you to your face anyways she could be severe that's what i'm trying to say but all of those imperfections aside she also always meant it when she told people i'm praying for you she cherished other people's imperfections and she never turned anyone out when they called to tell her millie i've fallen off the wagon she helped all four of her daughters navigate difficult marriages and pregnancies and she never gossiped. And when she said she forgave you, you would never again see even a sliver of grudge for which you had been forgiven. And so whenever my sisters and my cousins, whenever we get together, sometimes we like to talk about our grandma. And at this point, everybody has apocryphal stories and every one of the stories are amazing. And in one way or another, our grandmother, she has this ability to show up in the most difficult corners of her memories. She's there in the joy. She's there in the laughter. But she's also there in all those memories we look to whenever we want to find an example of something not to do. For instance, don't cheat on your spouse. Don't drink and drive. Don't let your emotions stop your thinking and turn you into a jerk. And yet, and yet that she's there in our hearts and minds for our family, for me, is proof that there are some people who are as essential as daily bread. I'm gonna put that another way. So a few months ago, I finished reading this great book by an author named Emily St. John Mandel. She wrote this book called Station Eleven. And in it, This is maybe too soon of a story to tell after the pandemic. But anyways, in it, humankind has been killed by a plague, (laughs) and there are those who barely survive because they are eating scraps. But here in this terrifying world, there's a group of musicians and actors who have banded together, and they roam the world as a traveling symphony. We're told, I'm gonna quote, the symphony performed music Classical, jazz, orchestral arrangements of pre-collapse pop songs and Shakespeare. They'd performed more modern plays sometimes in the first few years, but what was startling, what no one would have anticipated, was that audiences preferred Shakespeare to the other theatrical offerings. People want what was best about the world, the character Dieter tells us. Listen to that last line again. People want what was best about the world. Oftentimes, what's best about the world comes from people who are distilled in ancient wooden vats covered with waste matter. The flavor of their life comes from their many perfections, all their many trials. And yet somehow, they find a way to see the best in you and also help you see the best in yourself. They're sort of like a compass that points your life in a direction far from the one they lived. But as they do this, they show you just how much of this world, how much even a difficult life can be worth savoring. And that they're able to do this, whether alive or dead, is proof that love is immortal. It's proof that there have been people, that there are people, and that there will be people who are as essential as bread, and that for some people, you might be that bread. So today, in honor of my grandmother, Millie Lou, I baked again this Sunday a simple challah. Sarah, did we remember our bread? Yep, all right, we brought the bread. (laughs) I doubt my grandmother ever tasted bread like challah. There is a chance she wouldn't like it, and she would tell me to my face we grew up eating enriched white bread and i am very proud of that fact but there is no doubt that if she were alive this morning as i made this bread my grandmother would have been in my kitchen scouring my face for a pimple in need of popping before her phone rang and she ran out the door in search of people like her who want what's best about the world so dear friends every year since 1969 this church has celebrated bread communion. Members have told stories of the people and the places and the food that helped shape their life. And so please come forward to the microphone down here and tell the story of your bread now. Come forward.
6: heritage is German, so I brought a Stollen, originally known as Weihnachtsstollen or Christstollen, which means Stollen or cake. It's a very old tradition in Germany. The first written reference was in 1329, and I'm sure it was baked before that time. It's kind of a dense bread now, filled with raisins, and this one has marzipan, some of them have cherries. A lot of them have almonds or some other nuts in them. And it's coated with a thick layer of, of uh, powdered sugar. But in you know, the 1300s, most of these things weren't available. Uh, sugar was a very rare and expensive commodity. And wheat flour was also very expensive and highly prized because most of Germany is too cold uh, for growing wheat. It was mostly grow rye and oats. And interestingly enough, uh, so the original was a very simple affair, but by... and uh, Stollens were baked in sort of a oval loaf shape and they were baked several weeks before uh, Christmas and wrapped in cloth so they, the, the dough could mature and soften. And this shape was symbolic of the Christ child, the infant Christ swallowed in in claws, as was the custom of the time. And what else? Oh, and it was never eaten before Christmas, so I feel like I'm committing quite a sacrilege, I mean, before Advent. Uh, So I'm committing quite a sacrilege by slicing one open for you all today, even before Thanksgiving. Uh, What else? Oh. So it's an interesting bread with a long history now. Oh, in 1649, there was a tradition to give a stolen to the the higher level clergy and royalty. And by 1649, the um, um, the leaders of, of the countries petitioned the Pope, to lift the ban of Advent. Did you know that Advent was a time of fasting in the Middle Ages, who knew? Um, To lift the ban to allow this bread to be made with butter and milk instead of water and oil. So that increased the the benefit of, I mean the, the tastiness of it. And over the years, sugar has become less expensive, but you can imagine someone who's been fasting for a week on, let's say, on the first Advent Sunday to get a piece of cake that had sugar in it. I mean, wow. And fruit and, you know, made softly with milk and and wheat flour. So it was really a treat. It was something very special. So it was not only symbolic, but it was something people really looked forward to and appreciated. So think about that when you pretend you've been fasting and that this is... (laughs) A way of, of ending a fast. Um, Chris and I have
7: nothing. Chris and I have nothing quite so wonderful as as Barbara's story. Um, we have brought a cornbread that we've made. Uh, 40 years ago when we first met one another and became a couple uh, we were struggling graduate students and ate a lot of vegetarian chili uh, which we still eat a lot of. And it was a real treat for us if we had time in our hectic schedule to make a cornbread to go with our chili. And so chili and cornbread has remained one of our favorite meals over our long time together. And do you want to add anything to that?
1: No. (laughs) <laughs>
7: to most people be sick of it uh, so we share our cornbread with you uh, on this bread communion sunday and there's also butter
0: so i realized i should have had um, my partner paul come up with me but he's shaking his head no Um, (laughs) So, full disclosure, I did not, we did not make this bread. We found out yesterday about the bread community and today, we're like, that is so cool, like, but I don't know how to make bread and I don't have time to do that. So, we went to our most favorite loved bakery, Krieger's, um, that we are so happy to have in our neighborhood. We moved into a house this past spring and it's been so great getting to know the area and just, we really appreciate and are so grateful to have like a walkable community. We can walk there. And so maybe, hopefully, by the next time we have this bread communion here, maybe I will have learned how to bake some bread. So this is, I, it's so bad that I think it's so good and I can't tell you exactly what's in it. I know there's craisins. I think, it's, or cra- I think it's cranberry walnut. But either way, it's delicious on its own without anything. So I brought an herbed
8: focaccia. And it's got a lot of stuff in it. And I think that's why it was one of the only foods I could handle during
0: chemo, when I was going through chemo. It was like one of the only things I could taste. It, like, nothing else had any flavor. And bless her heart, the friend who brought it to me the first time, marked on her calendar each of my next consecutive chemo days. And every time I'd get home from the hospital, there would be a loaf of this focaccia waiting for me. And it uh, helped me through the next couple days until my mouth senses and taste and everything got back to normal. And uh, earlier this month, I uh, met with my oncologist and he said I no longer have to finish my daily regimen and I'm free and clear and I'm ready to go. So this seemed like the perfect bread to bring bring to bread community.
2: I knew I could get away with this, because I think Cheryl might have brought donuts last year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Didn't have time or energy to make anything. Tired, I even kept my sweatpants on this morning. Um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate, but my son and I found joy in picking out something that we thought you all might like, cinnamon rolls and lemon
1: donuts.
9: My bread is uh, beet bread and our family called it Fafanuki and it was, uh, their language was a mixture of Polish and Russian and Ukrainian um, because it was in that old Prussia area that we came from. And it wasn't until about 20 years ago when we were having Ukrainian guests stay with us that we're coming through a program at NTC that one of the Ukrainians, we got out our passports, our grandparents' passport, and he says, nay, Russian, Ukrainian. The region was Ukrainian. Um, so my grandmother and my mother always made for the New Year's and holidays like Easter and Thanksgiving, it was the special bread that was made at that time.
8: So it's good to be back. I've been away from miu Wausau for quite some time as I cared for my mom in advanced dementia. We enjoyed attending services here together while we could. It was always a joy to bring her with me. She was beautiful to the end, and it was an honor to be present to her in her precious and fragile end of her life's journey. Reflecting on our gentleness of spirit now reminds me to keep traditions of my own which add to life's value, meaning, and beauty. So returning to services here at First UU is at the top of that list. So it's great to be returning today as I break bread with you in this congregation. There is nothing special about this bread. <laughs> Other than it makes excellent avocado toast. With uh, warmed diced tomatoes over the top, it is La Brea bread from Pick and Save. <laughs> so it's available to all of us. Don't use this, I cut it into cubes. <laughs> and uh, thinking about today reminded me of a prose piece. It was part of a prayer that was recited to me by a beloved Capuchin Franciscan friar from St. Anthony's Retreat Center, so I thought I'd bring that with me today, too. And it goes like this. Back of the loaf is the snowy flower. And back of the flower is the mill. And back of the mill is the wheat and the shower and the sun and the Father's will. That's from Dan Crosby.
3: Now that the harvest has been gathered, please join me in our final responsive reading. For that power at work among us which transforms, renews, and redeems life. For that power which will not suffer us to be satisfied with what we are. For that power which through love sustains and supports us. Lest we forget our dependence upon powers over which we have no control lest in our discouragement we cease to listen for that still small voice, lest we forget the goodness leads upon paths we do not see. And greater resources, greater resources, and now please rise in spirit our body for our closing hymn inserted in this morning's bulletin over the river and through the woods. I invite you now to remain standing, reach out, take the hand of someone nearby. If you're here alone, reach out with your heart. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat, relax and enjoy the postlude.